Hey there, and welcome to Reaching Out with Michael Constable. I'm your host, Michael, and Reaching Out is a podcast on a mission to make coming out easier through story sharing. On this week's episode, I chat with a friend of mine who I met while on remote year, AJ Bond. This is a full circle podcast moment for me because AJ is a podcast host himself. His podcast, which is called Discomfortable and is centered around the topic of shame, was huge for me while coming out. In fact, there are a few specific episodes that I linked in the show notes that I highly suggest for people who are coming out to listen to. AJ walks us through how shame impacted his journey to being out today, and even makes a few eye-opening observations about his coming out process during our conversation. It's really cool. He talks about how the trauma of not being sure he wasn't gay as a tween enabled him to simply repress and forget about it entirely until he was much older as a matter of self-survival. I honestly could listen to AJ speak on a podcast all day, and so I'm just going to stop talking and let you hear it for yourself. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Reaching Out. I am really excited about our guest today. This is a full circle pod, gay podcasting moment for me. <laughs> um, our guest today is a is the host of one of my uh, my personal favorite podcasts, Discomfortable, and his podcast was really important to me when I was coming out, when I moved to San Francisco, I was just telling him before we started um, how important his some of his episodes were to me during my coming out process. So this is really exciting to have him here. Welcome, AJ Bond. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to see you again. It's been a while. I know it has been. I don't think I, we've, ch- we've caught up since you were last in San Francisco, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like I was I was in SF a lot yeah. and I like you were sort of like my pen pal SF yeah. buddy and then yeah. the pandemic ruined it. And you currently you ju- were just telling me you you live in Toronto now and you just moved there right moved back there right before the pandemic. Yeah, which is good because I wasn't caught in you know where I might have been traveling for the pandemic but also everything I love about Toronto doesn't exist during a pandemic including like dating and you know socializing yeah, <laughs> and, some important things yeah some important life and mental health things so yeah. it's been it's been challenging well also for to give some more context uh for our listeners of how we know each other aj and i both did uh remote year and that's how i think we got that's how we got connected um we didn't do the same travel pro we didn't do the same program but he did the the program that you you were the month before us so we were I think so yeah we overlapped for almost the entire year and went to some of the similar places and I think I think we actually met first in my month 12 in Mexico City that's right you're at our we had like a I was at your party yeah (laughs) your guacamole contest yes (laughs) I don't know that I don't know if you and I actually like talked though I don't think so and all right this is going to be new news for you um but I was I was thinking about this when I was just mentally like getting ready for the show and I was like thinking back to that the guac (laughs) the guac off and I remember thinking this is when I was still in the closet mind you I remember having this thought I was like oh AJ's really cute but like I I couldn't like I couldn't like I can't believe you've never told me that I know I I had to save a little surprise for the show um (laughs) yeah I remember having that thought and I was like oh AJ's really like really I don't even like know what term I would use in my head I was just like because like of course I wouldn't be like oh AJ's handsome because I was like closet brain. Right. Um, like, well, yeah. this is interesting because when I was a kid, I interpreted attraction as envy. So I now it's fascinating, and maybe oh. you have this where I look back and I'm like, oh that it's like suddenly I see all the guys that were attractive, and I'm like that that's what they were. It wasn't yeah. that they were so cool? It was that I was attracted. That's to interesting. Them. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, but yeah, the, I I guess I was envious of you <laughs> back, <laughs> back in Mexico at the Guaca. But yeah, it was just like, I just remember having that feeling. And But I don't think we talked. I just remember, I think I just maybe saw you or something. Um, but obviously like was not even, it is crazy because now that I'm thinking about it, that was March and I ended up coming out, I ended up coming out in July of that year. And mm. like that was not, even though it was like, what is that, four months or five months, wasn't even remotely on my radar like wow to come out like that was I mean it wasn't even like a week before I came out like I never it still was never like on top of my mind to do it um, yeah but it's just really funny now looking back that that well now I have this fantasy that if we had of met I would have somehow like posted out of you yeah AJ come on you could in the multiverse that exists (laughs) yeah and I can't wait to hear all about it (laughs) through some kind of technology you automatically win for bringing up the multiverse uh (laughs) on my show 
End you, of wait, interview. Wait, is that a is that a Marvel reference that we're hearing? Because I feel like the multiverse is becoming like popular a lot of places. Now. I have been into the multiverse before it was cool. Okay. Oh shoot. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, because I, as you may or may not know, I had a whole career in film, and one of yes. my fascinations was time travel films, and I actually made a time travel film that was based on a, a kind of multiverse. Like I meet a version of myself who is slightly different. So I I give myself some old school multiverse cred here oh my gosh wait that's amazing now i'm just like i just know it from spider-man <laughs> oh yeah and marvel oh. um Me wait, the multiverse I, I, did know, I did know you were in film and don't you have didn't you have something on netflix yeah in canadian netflix but that's not it. anymore yeah oh, a film gosh. that i made um there's some shorts like you you can post uh one a link to that time travel short it's, it's a good one actually it's a it's my favorite film that I ever made was that one time travel multiverse kind of short. Okay, you absolutely have to give me a link so I can post okay. it in the show notes. That's awesome. <laughs> I think you will like it. That would be incredible. I And I do want to kind of circle back to what I mentioned when I was introducing you. Your podcast, Discomfortable, was like huge for me. And I again, I was I was never really a big podcast person, but yours was really interesting to me. And um, I'll let you introduce it. Um, but there were certain episodes that were relating to being gay. Like the entire podcast isn't about that, but certain episodes were, and they were really, they were like, I couldn't get enough. I wanted them to be like 10 hours long. And I would just sit there. (laughs) I would like be sitting there. I was just telling you this. I would would sit there on the train to work and I would just be listening to your episodes. I'd be like live texting you as I'm like listening. (laughs) And um, they're just like, they're so good. I'm going to link all of them um, or like the, the, the ones that I um, remember being specifically important Mm -hmm. to me. Um, in the show notes for people to listen to. Um, but would you like to give a quick little intro to Discomfortable? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, thanks for mentioning it. And and it really means a lot when someone does connect with it. And I remember feeling like, yeah, we really connected over you listening and being like, oh, I so relate to this. Yeah, it was and... like, I was like shouting at the on the train every time you made a point. I was like, Oh my God, he understands. <laughs> like it was just, yeah, yeah. It was really powerful. It was really, powerful. and I feel like we we both came out at similar ages, so there's also some overlap there. But, but, but as you said, the the podcast is really about shame and other uncomfortable topics. So, discomfortable as a word means like getting comfortable with discomfort for me. And so, I'm always just trying to do episodes on issues that we don't talk about that much, particularly emotions or experiences that we're all having but just generally don't talk about and then you know growing up as a closeted kid in a heteronormative world I mean still like there's a lot of discomfort around the topic of homosexuality so naturally there's a lot of episodes where that came up and um I just I don't know I really love to share (laughs) things from my own life as well so it's like a little bit self-serving there's like part of me that wants attention because that was a strategy to deal with shame and hiding my sexuality but then there's another part of me that really wants to start these kinds of conversations so uh it's like a little bit of both yeah i I love your podcast i I was just telling um i was just telling you this earlier but i re-listened to those episodes this week and i was just like it was such a blast like from the past i felt like i was just had moved to SF it like it really you know like a song can take you back to a certain totally. moment or place <laughs> that is how your podcast was when I re-listened to him this week um and for listener, like I would just some quick ones off the top of my head that I would recommend there um you have discomfortable with being gay that's I mean that you kind of go into a little bit of your coming out story in that so I do yeah um so you'll be able to hear it here and there but that's a really great one um the next one I think the the week after was uh gay sex which you give like a really, you give like a really good background into like grinder and how, and just like um, you talk about like cruising and like just hookup culture and that sort of a thing, which to me, when I was coming out, I grinder was so terrifying to me. And yeah. I just, you know, and it's still, <laughs> it still kind of is um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for being completely honest. Uh, but you give a really good explanation of that. And I just remember I did, cause like I didn't really understand how it worked and like, I don't know, just, I was intimidated by just gay hookup culture in general. And so that was like a very informative, um, that was like a really informative episode for me. Uh, and then there was two other ones, nail polish. 
in that one, you talk about a way you wanted to like kind of subtly signal that you are gay and you use nail polish as this way to to do that. And it was just like really relatable. And I just, that one has a lot of really good points that I was just like, holy shit, I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one was the dancing. Um, right. You talk about you're at a oh. like a electronic like music festival in a castle yeah. in Belgrade, I think. In uh, just outside of Belgrade. Oh, okay, so in Serbia, but in Serbia. And the, wait, I, what I really appreciate it, I, I don't think I picked up on this as much when I first listened to it, but when I listened to it this week, you, like giving perspective, I think it was like you met some Croatians. Yes. And we talked, you talked about how, I think you talked about how it was probably wasn't easy for them to be like, to be out where they're from. No, no. Yeah. And it just like, I don't know, it just gave a per- different perspective to me. Cause like, you, I don't know, living in San Francisco, I take that, I think I take it for granted how easy it is to be gay. And totally. Openly gay here. Yeah, traveling through Eastern Europe was really eye-opening. I, I think in one of those episodes, I probably talk about the pride parade I went to in Bulgaria as well. And they were like, nobody threw rocks this year. Like that was the takeaway that this was the first year no one had thrown rocks at the parade. And hearing that, I was just like shocked and like, wow. And and yeah, and there is something like, there is some guilt in me about how much I enjoyed that secret gay dancing culture in serbia vis-a-vis how repressive it is for the people who actually live there so i have mixed feelings about it but it is still like such a special memory yeah oh i forgot about the the rocks yeah earlier when i listen to stories like that it's like oh wow i I definitely take for granted my situation here and how easy relatively speaking it is to yeah yeah and yet how much trauma we still carry around about it like (laughs) yeah it is it is both so impactful on my whole psychology and life and it is relatively so easy compared to other places. So yeah. like but that dichotomy is a bit of a uh, mind fuck. Are we allowed to yeah. swear on here? Yeah, yeah, we are. Okay. I just, yeah, we definitely are. <laughs> um, so let's, let's dive into your coming out story, AJ, where, so I, I love, I love seeing how people interpret this question. So, or this prompt, I guess. Yeah. Where, when you think of your coming out story, where does it, where does it start? Yes. I've been thinking about it. Like what are the kind of touchstone moments? And, and then it's like, what's the earliest moment? What's the earliest moment? And I think something that really stands out is when I was, Oh, maybe 11 or 12. I was on the phone with one of my like guy friends and all of a sudden he was like, so what girls do you like? And I was like, what? Like I was just like, to me, that question came so out of left field that I was shocked and confused. And I think I went into shame and I just didn't know how to answer it. And I remember, like, I remember my brain. I don't know if I've ever told this to anyone. My brain was like, what do I say? What do I say? And it was so clear that I should have an answer. And I almost felt stupid for like, how did I not know this was a thing? Like, when did this happen? When did we transition into this? And I was just like, uh, I, I, I actually can't remember what I said, but I remember being like, what? And from that moment on, that's what everyone was interested in. Like there was just this shift and I completely missed it. I was completely clueless. And but all of a sudden, all my guy friends like this is the question and this is what they're asking. And and I remember that that was a really hard transition because I went from being. Like, I felt like I was this cool, popular 11 year old who had it all. I had all these guy friends and I had video games and I was good at drawing. Like I had all the things that I thought you needed. And then all of a sudden something else became so important and I didn't get it. I I just didn't get it. I didn't have it. I was afraid of it. I didn't know what to do with it. And from then on, I was faking. Like I was just faking it from then on. And I would just pretend to that, like I liked girls and I knew I was pretending, but I didn't think I was gay. I just was like, why is this not online for me? Like, I just don't get it. Which is interesting because I know from listening to um, your podcast that I know you you dated women though too, right? Like you before you yes. came out. Yes. Not I to mean... skip ahead to skip any <laughs> to skip ahead in your story, but like that's why I think it's interesting. You said you feeling like you you faked it, you know, from that moment on, which you're you know eleven or twelve. That's 
It's fascinating because there are girls that I remember catching my eye as young as grade two. In fact, because I remember I moved to Vancouver in grade two. And I remember that first day looking around being like, who are the cute girls? But it was like, I wanted, I think it was more like, I want to befriend the cute girls. And I did. There were these three girls and I befriended the cute girls. And then one of the girls like was like, we're, you're my husband. And like, I had to like, pretend I liked her. And so I like, I had a sense of like, who was attractive and which girls to align with. But, and there were some girls that I kind of genuinely did think I was attracted to, but I didn't want to do anything sexual with them. I just was attracted to them and wanted to be around them. (laughs) That's so relatable. And that's like every girl relationship I've ever had is exactly that. It's like, oh, I just want to be like really good friends with you. Yeah, like I want to be BFFs with that girl. I, I I don't know if you felt this way, like because obviously we just touched on that you have dated women, but when I was, I can't really claim that I dated women. I I tried to date women. I would mm-hmm. say is a, is a more accurate representation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I found myself in these situations where I would go on you know Bumble dates. Um, this is probably when I was, when I was still trying to date. I think I gave up at a certain point, but I was like probably like twenty six. And I was like going on these dates in Austin and I, I had this realization. I was like, I think I just want to like be really good friends with these girls. Like they're really cool. And I would Mm -hmm. be like besties with them. But I, anytime I got to like the second date, we were supposed to like, you know, like kiss or which is so funny now thinking about how different, how fast you like, like hook up culture with gays. (laughs) Right. Yeah. The second date. (laughs) I know. As I said that, I was like, (laughs) <laughs> well, that's the rudest thing I ever said. Um, but no, it's uh, I just would, would the second we get to like where you're supposed to do something physical, it's like I would just panic, run, yeah. sprint through the hills, and yeah, probably ghost them. <laughs> well, my first real, I'm mean, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but I will name that the first girl who I really was like, this is my girlfriend, I think grade six or seven, yeah, broke up with me specifically because I was quote unquote too frigid. Really? I could only kiss her if I was dared to. I didn't really like want to touch her. I liked her. (laughs) But that was like, I remember this very vividly. She was like, you're so frigid. I just can't date you. Like, that's a lot of pressure to put on a sixth or seventh grader. I guess I guess that that wasn't in line with the other daters. I mean, there was some pretty advanced stuff going on, actually, when I was around that age. And I was way behind all of it. But, but to rewind a little bit, there's like a couple other key moments. And I think this one is in my podcast, so you'll remember it. It was a, maybe a year or two later, I was on a bus headed to acting class with a bunch of theater kids. And then like loudly, someone in the group said to another kid, if you don't know whether you're gay or not, it means you are. And something about that line just like was like a gut punch. And it was like, I think I obviously must have unconsciously been already wrestling with this and I can't remember it, but something about that line kind of like crystallized my uncertainty and I just was mortified and full of shame. Like that was like a, that was a big shame experience, even though like nobody, I didn't say anything, nobody looked at me, but like that was a transformative shame moment wherein I was like, I just cannot convince myself that I know for sure. I'm not gay. Yeah, I do remember that from your podcast. And it's that was like a really tumultuous period wherein I was like, holy fuck, what if I'm gay? What, 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 this is, I just was like, that's so unfair. What did I do? I didn't do anything. Like, I just couldn't believe it. And I'm being light about it, but it's actually not light at all. Um, It culminated in me literally thinking to myself, I remember this, like we were driving in my family car and I said, I would rather die than be gay. And I meant it. And I can't exactly remember what happened immediately after that, but like something changed and I banished that thought away because I think it was clear to my system. It was like, oh, this is really dangerous. Like either he is this awful, awful thing that will destroy him and his family and his life, or he's going to kill himself. So we just cannot 
this just cannot be something that is ever thought about ever again. And it just went, it just went away. Just got, it just got buried somehow. It's quite incredible. To give context when this, this was around sixth or seventh grade, or is this back when you're, I think it's seventh or eighth grade. Yeah. So it's for, which for me is the grade seven was the end of elementary school and grade eight was the beginning of high school. So it was right around that transition point at least. And that's like a, a time when, you know, your most kids are trying to just fit in and that's yeah. mostly what you want. You just want to be like everybody else. And so when you're grappling with the thought of you potentially being gay, you know what? Yeah, no, sorry, know. go on. <laughs> no, no, it's just like, that is a, it's like such a, it's such a stressful time to feel different. I feel like yeah. that gay was like the worst possible thing. you could Absolutely. Be. That's Absolutely. how it felt at least. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for context, like this was the early nineties. So it really was gay was the worst thing you could possibly be as far as I could tell. And um, I also like, you just made me realize that when I was in grade seven, I had a lot of confidence. I was like the, I think I was the, president of the student council. I was the oldest grade in the school. Um, like I really felt very safe. And then that transition into high school is a, such a terrifying moment. You're suddenly the tiniest kids at this school full of what feels like adults who are super scary. And to go through that question at that moment is actually probably the worst possible timing to go through those two transitions at once, to be like, what if I'm gay? I'm a tiny kid in his first day of high school. It's like, absolutely, we're not going to be that right now. So that just, you just sort of like opened my eye to something really that actually just makes me feel less regret, which I sometimes have about, oh, I wish I could have come out sooner. That's why I find these conversations so interesting. Um, I feel like when you're in it, when you're coming out, and you're in it, it's really hard to objectively look at the situation. You're literally just like trying to survive and get through this process and come to yeah. terms with who you are as a person. You don't have time to like look at these little touch points throughout your journey and really kind of make sense of all of it. And so I feel like this situation happens. I've found through having these conversations on the show is um, people are like for the first time, he's like, how often are you thinking back about your coming out process? Not that often, probably. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, depending on how recent you, recently you came out, I guess. But um, it's really interesting to kind of look back chronologically and you can make observations like this um, where certain things happen at certain transitions or times in your life. And it kind of just helps you make sense of it all a little totally. bit. It kind of totally. like puts pieces together. Yeah. And it's so therapeutic. And I, re I, I'm, I realized lately because I do coaching around shame now. And it's like, you don't, there's nothing from childhood that you remember for no reason. It's like, if you can remember it, it's because there's something really important about it. So literally just like go back and think of any memory related to your sexuality. And you have like a gold mine of therapeutic self-awareness uh, material. Absolutely. Wait, so, so you said, you said once you had that thought where you're like, I would rather die than be gay. Yeah. You said you were able to like wipe it away, those thoughts. Could you explain that? Could, could you kind of explain that a little bit? <laughs> well, it wasn't a conscious process. It's not like I yeah. was yeah, like, yeah. I will not think about them again. I think what happened, this is just total conjecture, that my like, ego, which is really concerned with survival, was like, this is an impossible situation. We're gonna we're gonna basically die either side die if you come out, die if you're discovered, die if you even acknowledge it to yourself. So it's just like your ego is just like, this is like plutonium. I have to store it in a super safe place, which is behind deep layers of repression. Yeah. And I think that's just an automatic kind of process that my brain did of its own safekeeping. Or even, I guess at this point, were you even having like thoughts about like guys being attracted to guys? Was that still, was that something that no. was even happening yet? <laughs> no, like wow. obviously it was because now I can look back and yeah. reinterpret, oh, that wasn't envy, that was attraction. But no, and and I, what's unique, and, and I see why you want to dig into this, is that I think a lot of people I talked to were like, yeah, I knew I was gay the whole time. But after that moment, 
I didn't functionally know I was gay anymore. It was gone. In fact, I hadn't even said for sure that it was true, but either way yeah. it was gone. And I didn't, I didn't consciously entertain any self-aware gay thoughts for like maybe eight years after that. Wow. Which is incredible. So all of my teenage sexuality just gone. Which is incredible that that's even possible. Because <laughs> like I was, you know, TMI, I, I would still masturbate. I would still fantasize. It was always about women. Oh, interesting. Yeah, always about women. I wanted to date. I wanted to fool around with women. And it didn't feel, and this is why to some extent I do think, you know, if you if you believe in the Kinsey scale, I'm definitely not all the way to one side. There's yeah. some bisexuality in there that I think made this confusion you, possible. We've talked about this, I think. Yeah. I think we talked about this one, one time when you were visiting SF. I think you, you mentioned that. Like, I definitely consider myself predominantly gay, but I find women attractive. And so I think my brain had no concept of bisexuality. That just, it's like either you're gay, bad, or you're straight, good. So I think part of it was that I was just able to really, really, really focus my attention on the small wedge of attraction towards women and kind of like use that <laughs> for what it was worth. I, I find that so interesting um, that you, I w wanted nothing more than to have like an attraction to women. Like I wanted it so badly. I would have done anything for it, which I laugh at now just because I, I am so happy that I'm gay. But mm -hmm. <laughs> at the time growing up, I wanted to be attracted to women so badly that if I had even the smallest like right. sliver of, of attraction, I think I would have like, I could see myself, I truly, truly, truly could see myself as one of those people who got married and had kids and yeah. then came out, you know, ended up coming out because obviously it's going to come out sometime um, at, in like my 50s or something. And yeah. I, yeah. I could see, I could have seen that for me and I would have probably tried to make it happen. Yeah. Now that you mentioned this, I feel a lot of emotion coming up because I have heard so many people echo that sentiment of I was trying so hard to find women attractive. And you're right. Like I didn't really have that. It felt like I could see who the hot girls were and I could, I could masturbate and, and enjoy myself thinking about them. Um, and that is, I'm calling it lucky. I'm like, Oh, how lucky, but I don't know. It's still, and this, this is like skips ahead a little bit, but I think it's important to note that when, so then I had, at one point I had a girlfriend and we had a totally normal sex life and it felt like totally normal and fine. And it never felt fake or anything. But then when I finally like kissed a guy for the first time, the difference was so palpable, so dramatic that I was like, oh my goodness. Oh, so this is what everyone is talking about. And I, so there is a huge difference, even though I'm somewhere on that spectrum that for me, there was this huge difference. And I do like, this is a way jumping ahead, but I am noticing that right now, so many straight people are revealing to me that they have a kind of curiosity about homosexuality. And it's like, it's like, there's something in the zeitgeist right now. This is like happening left, right, and center. And I think it's because culture has changed so dramatically that their low level of attraction is now enough that it's more than the amount of shame that culture is giving. So like for you, you needed such a high level of attraction for it to overpower the intense shame that you grew up with that said no. But other people had a much lower level of attraction. So you're right. To their point, they just didn't make sense. The, the ratio didn't allow it. So I think to some extent, and this is just, I'm, I'm making this up. <laughs> but to some extent, it is like those of us who really needed to express this part of ourselves, it overpowered the amount of shame and negativity from culture and made it possible, which is kind mm -hmm. of amazing. Yeah, that's interesting. And now I think we're going to see a flooding 
of different amounts of bisexuality. And that is just a total theory that I'm completely making up, but uh, I still think it's possible. We'll also have you back on the show and we'll revisit. See <laughs> yeah, see if it's true. See if you're, yeah, see if it's coming true. So we, so now in your, back to, in your story where, what did that lead for you? And now that you're entering, you're like entering high school at this point, right? So. Yeah, just like a really weird period of like, yeah, I find girls attractive and I think I want to have sexual, you know, experiences with them. And I did have a few, um, but mostly I was just like conspicuously asexual. And I, I mean that in not like the term that describes people who are actually asexual, but more like my friends and people around were like, what's up with this? Like there's, you could be dating people and you're not like this. Just, it's just like, there was a kind of slightly, there was a kind of just a question in the air of like, story doesn't, of my doesn't remote add ear. up. <laughs> yeah. Literally the story of my remote ear. Someone asked me point blank if I was asexual because <laughs> wow. I wasn't dating. Yeah. yeah. That was the first time that it happened. Um, yeah. And I did have like some dating and some experiences and, Definitely, like, there were moments later in my teen years where people were like, are you gay? Because <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense what's going on here. How did, how did, those, how did that, those questions make you feel when someone asked you point blank if you were gay? There was like a <gasps> shocky shame moment. Yeah. And I would be like, I don't think so. You know, like, if it was one of my friends, I think I'd kind of be like light and be like, well, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. You know, and they'd be like, That's oh, that. okay. Yeah. Like play it cool, um, make it make it sort of jokey. Don't, don't yeah. defend yourself too hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, which is interesting to say because it's like, okay, so there's some awareness in there, you know, to some degree. Part of my brain knows, but I am not consciously admitting that I know or that it's there. Mm. And to live like that, I think I kind of just increasingly got depressed. By the by, grade 11, 12, I was just really like things just were meaningless. Uh, you know, like there's this like classic story in my life where I would have these cake nights on my birthday. And one time I got this giant cake with all these like flowers and balloons on it. And I had the Dairy Queen artist write nothing means anything across it. And that was like my <laughs> motto in my like late teens. Nothing means anything. I just had this sort of like nihilistic, I don't know, it's all pointless, it's all meaningless. And I think it really did stem from the fact that I was completely dissociated from my authenticity and my sexuality. And there was just no joy in deep, intimate connection to be had. Yeah. Even with friends, it's like, it's not just sexually, it's like nobody knows the real me. I don't even know the real me. Yeah. And you just can't be happy in that state. Just no. can't. So that kind of led into university. Um, and really kind of like the turning point is that I went to film school and I begrudgingly, I remember the first day of film school, there was this other director who was very openly, flamboyantly gay. And I was like, ugh, ugh, so annoying. Like, don't want to work with him. But then he pitched this great film idea and we both kind of bonded over our love of Edward Gorey, this like really dark sort of adult illustrator. And he wanted to make a short film kind of like inspired by that aesthetic. And I was like, oh, I'm so in. So we ended up working together and I ended up like really bonding with him. Like we just like, so I was like, it basically like he took the all the judgment and shame about being gay i was like he's a nice person he's not awful he's not the worst and and making a film if anyone who's made a film knows it's like going to war it is so stressful that you bond through that stress so he and i just bonded so deeply through that and then like one thing he said really got into my head he was like you know your friend so and so it's really cute and i was like you're right so like one of my male friends, he pointed out was really cute. And I was like, he's right. And then there was this night with a couple other friends where they're like, what's a secret you've never told anyone? And I was like, well, my gay friend says that our mutual friend so-and-so is cute. And I agree. What does that mean? Like, does that mean I'm gay or I'm bi? And 
everyone was like, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe you just like can see that men are attractive. That's normal. So I was sort of like, okay, I can see that men are attractive. That's normal. And then I met a girl. And that was a whole relationship that felt totally real and great and was lovely and really meaningful to me. But I do recall that the first time we had sex, I was like, oh, so that's sex? And I remember like, wow, society has been lying. Society says sex is so amazing. And it's not. And it kind of it kind of made sense. I was like, society's always full of BS. So it makes sense that they're lying about sex too. And I just assumed that everyone was like hyping sex up when really it was just like, whatever. <laughs> Wait, I'm so happy you brought this up because I was going to bring this up. Because I, I, <laughs> I heard that I realized when I was listening to your podcast, uh, this, you talked about that. And it was a very, I just remember thinking that it was very relatable. And I, I remember... I never ended up sleeping with women. So like I didn't have that same moment, but I do remember having this resentment, general resentment about just society and how everything is about a love song or like every movie is about love and all this stuff. And I was just so annoyed. I was like, why is everything, why does everything have to be about like sex or <laughs> totally? Like, oh my goodness. Totally, totally, totally. I'm like, what, why, why does everybody have to do this? Like, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, <laughs> just aggressively not having sex. And <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, I don't get it. I don't understand why this is such a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so when you, in your podcast, when you talked about that being like, so that was sex, <laughs> it was like a very, I just related a little <laughs> bit to that. Well, I, you're also making me realize that I was, I come from a, fa- like, well, I didn't come from a family culture where sex was talked about much. So it was very taboo. And I interpret it as like maybe even a little bit sex negative. Uh, No offense to my family. But (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah, that's sort of how I interpret it. And I do remember around that time I was getting into cinema and I was watching like Stanley Kubrick's film, A Clockwork Orange comes to mind. And that film is a wash in sexual imagery. And I just remember like having so much judgment, like Kubrick, why you got to make it all about sex? Like, yeah, sex is so... Why is sex so important? Why are we talking about, I had so much judgment and I just didn't get it. So my, it's interesting that my, my family's prudishness sort of made my lack of sexuality seem almost morally justified. So it didn't feel like there was something wrong with me. It was like society is stupid and we are the good people who know that sex (laughs) just isn't that great. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I I grew up very similarly with, in terms of, uh like just general sentiment around sex and i want to like sex negative i guess um i like i remember being told sex was like a swear word when i was a kid that's how it feels yeah to me illegal sex felt illegal yeah like bad like bad like sex equals bad like it just like drugs sex swearing violence all bad exactly and so i i still feel like i am kind of dealing with let's say repercussions but like still working through some of that that I noticed will yeah. come into like how I, how I, um, I don't know. Just it, I just I can tell that there's still some like unresolved stuff for sure. I'm, I'm exactly the same. Deeply, <laughs> yeah. deeply conditioned a certain way, and it yeah. brings up so much judgment. As you know, like especially in the queer community, like things like non-monogamy, polyamory, uh, casual sex are very, you know, prevalent, and it's was a real struggle for me to get through and be able to connect with people and not judge them around that. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, my relationship ended for its own reasons. And I how moved. Long were you guys, how long were you guys? How I long did you guys like a, a year, a year and a half. That's maybe? like a, see, like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I, I like, I'm so, I don't know if impressed is the right word, but like, I'm <laughs> always like, yeah, like, I, whenever I, I don't know, like that's a long, that's a full relate. That's a relationship. And it was like, a full uh, relationship. Like really was, it was everything that you wanted it to be, except this sexual component. But even that was like, we were, wasn't like we weren't having sex. It was just, wasn't the same. Yeah. And to this point, you know, you had never, this was before your first kiss with a guy, right? Yes. What that's you right. mentioned before. Okay. I completely just forgot about the whole gay thing. I was like, I've got a girlfriend. This is great. Yeah. I like, I don't even, that was a period of time where it just wasn't on my mind at all. Got it. 
And then, which is interesting because like very shortly after we broke up, I moved to Toronto for film school. And like within a few months, just saw a cute guy on the subway and was like, that guy's cute, I'm gay. <laughs> it's just like, boom, just was hit this me. When, was this when you're wearing your scarf? Yes, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. that's right. That's right. Uh, so the, yeah, the preamble is that my mother sent me this rainbow scarf because it was it's cold in Toronto. It was starting to get cold. So I put on the rainbow scarf and I saw this guy and he was cute. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm gay. And then <laughs> I took the rainbow scarf off and was like, maybe I'm not gay. I still like, look, these girls are attractive. I'm not gay. And then it was cold and I put the scarf back on and I went outside and I saw another cute guy and I was like, I'm gay. And then I was like, oh my goodness, it's not me. The scarf is gay. It's a gay, it's a magical gay scarf, like Frosty the Snowman's hat. It turns me gay when I wear it. So that was a, just a sort of like <laughs> delightful little journey that I went on as I was like, am I, am I not? And it, but it was like, it struck me as a realization that was just so, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a shock. It was like a, of like, right, this old thing. Why wouldn't we explore this whole thing now? There just was no, it just was like, suddenly it was like, this has been here all along. And I see no reason not to engage with it anymore. It just was like so available suddenly, which was fascinating. But in retrospect, I think this is true. I actually like went back and looked that literally right at that time, Canada legalized same-sex marriage. That summer. Wow, I feel emotion coming up. I think that had a real impact on my ability to accept myself. And I know that it's like sort of something about it for someone like me who's so, my shame made me so rule-based. I have to follow all the rules to fit in. That to have that rule officially change was huge for my system in a way that I didn't realize. But it just suddenly made, when I was confronted by my sexuality, it suddenly was like, there's nothing blocking this anymore. I am allowed, society says, I'm allowed to engage with this. And so I did. I, I basically just told all my friends, like, I want to explore homosexuality. And all my friends were like, great. Everyone was so supportive. And it was, it was, it was suddenly just like this just totally different thing. It was totally easy and light and fun. And there's no question it also helped that I, that was literally... <laughs> Not, did I, not only did I move to Toronto for film school, I moved out of my parents' basement and went to Toronto and lived alone in film school. So there's like culture dramatically changed in this deep symbolic way. I moved away from the family home and out of the city and I got a magical gay scarf and I had everything, you know, heading in the direction of I was finally able to accept this. And to your point about, you know, another reality where I didn't go down this road. Like if I didn't leave Vancouver and if that law never changed, I, I might be married with children right now. Seriously. Yeah. Because I was so afraid of being rejected by society. Like the following a rule, like if there's a sign that says, don't do, don't breathe, I'll be like, okay. <laughs> 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 I will not breathe. So I don't know. I just, I, I just really want to celebrate big symbolic things that sometimes I think we can be cynical about like, Oh yeah, but that hasn't really changed the deep homophobia in the culture, which is sort of true, mm -hmm. but it's still so important. And so I had a summer in Toronto of like trying to date guys and I didn't go on a single date. I had no luck. I couldn't, couldn't make a date happen, which was maybe, maybe I was shooting myself in the foot. Like I wasn't quite ready because I hadn't told my family. And part of me being a big rule follower is that like, I need to be on side with my family. This is before the family meeting. <laughs> this is before the family meeting. Yes. I love, I like, I like, <laughs> you know, the story I know. too well. <laughs> I know. I told you I was I was a loyal listener. 
You know this, AJ. Yes, yes. I appreciate this because you're reminding me of details that I might not have mentioned if I... Yeah, I'm like, I know. I'm like, AJ, don't forget about the family meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think absolutely, like, I... The way that my whole system works is I need approval. And I need approval from society. But really, it's like, it's a metaphor for needing approval from the family. And I come from this big, tight-knit family. Um... And so I think on an, on a level, I couldn't do anything until my family knew. I just couldn't do anything. I, that, I feel I, I can relate to that. I felt like it wasn't, in, I wasn't fully out till I, my family knew. That's how it felt. Like I, yeah. I, I, I had been out to other people, but like, it was always, I still have to, in order for me to like really take off and flourish, you know, like, and really embrace, you know, this new, well, I guess my authentic self, not my new self, but um, it was like the family had, you had to check that box. That's how it felt for me too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it really depends on your family dynamic. Like sure. Part of my safety strategy was to lean in to the group. Like I went anxious attachment. I went people pleasing. That's my reaction to shame. I'm going to be like everyone. I'm going to please everyone. I'm going to be perfect for everyone. And my family has its own intergenerational perfectionism, shame, trauma thing anyway. So I sort of just leaned right into that. And so I'm not saying that's its own kind of trap, you know, but that's how I was wired at that point. And so I just was like, oh, I just called my mom up and was like, (laughs) we haven't had one of those family meetings in a while. And I'm going to be home this summer. And she was just like, great idea. And she just ran with it. So I didn't have to prepare anything. I just knew when I get back, there will be this family meeting waiting for me, at which I will tell them. And I knew that I had my friends on side and I had Canadian culture on side. And I just knew my siblings wouldn't care. I didn't know how my parents would react, but I knew my siblings wouldn't care. And I, I like, there was like part of me that was like, I could like point to society and be like, this is how it is now. This is what we're doing now. So get on side parents. Um, so then like I come home, the family meeting happens. And then ironically, it just so happens that I get chosen in the thing to go last. And then in the middle of the family meeting, my sister-in-law's sister goes into labor. So they're like, we have to leave. We got to go to the hospital. AJ, can you just quickly give us the, the, the headlines? <laughs> What's the, what are your, you know, the family meeting supposed to be like, what are your future goals? Like, what are you up to lately? And I was like, oh, uh, uh. and uh, I think I started crying and I said, I think I'm gay. And uh, I think there's like something clicked for everyone at that moment. Like my siblings, like, this is why we're here. <laughs> like, this is, we just had a whole family meeting. <laughs> this is the reason. <laughs> and, um, and then I remember that my father said, I'm proud of you. And I was, wow. I didn't expect that at all because like, he's, you know, works in construction well he runs a construction company it's not like what you might picture in working in construction but still it was like i just didn't know where he would land on that and to be fair since then he has admitted that he's like i don't know aj i kind of just said something and locked out (laughs) like he was like i i didn't know what to think i was you know it was a it wasn't a comfortable moment but that's just what came out i can't say that But it was like, it was exactly the right thing to say for what I needed to hear in that moment. It was just like, wow. Um, So that was really lucky. And now I feel like a little bit of like, yeah, a little bit of that guilt of having it easy in a moment like that. Though it it wasn't easy. It it took some time. Like it 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 took a while for my mother to fully accept it. Like she didn't say anything in the moment, but there were some reservations that came up over the next couple of months that we had to work through. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like the actual like coming out process, I think I had it really lucky. Yeah. Yeah. But also like, I, I, I hear what you're saying about, you know, having a little, I think you use the word guilt around having an easy coming out, but also, I mean, think about, 
I, I'm contrasting that to what you were saying earlier when you had the thought of like, oh, I'd rather, I'd rather be dead or die than be gay as a kid. So it's like, yeah, the coming out to your parents, it sounds like it was, you know, much easier, but like you, you know, you still went through like some really like traumatizing mental, you know, over the years. So it's like, it's nice that that part was easy, but it's like you went through, you know, still went through quite a bit. (laughs) And I'm thinking of um, Alan Down's book, The Velvet Rage, where I think he makes a very good point that that moment of accepting our sexuality is not the end of our battle with the shame and trauma of having been gay in a heteronormative world. It's not even close to the end. So it's like this huge moment. It's so great. I was so lucky. But at the same time, that was just the beginning of a journey of self-acceptance. And that, in fact, it's almost to some degree a journey that got um, inauthenticity, what Brene Brown would call hustling for worthiness, like that went on steroids after I was an openly gay person in the world. So now I really need to be successful, attractive. Uh, I need to really fit in in the queer community and in the straight community. And I need to be perfect at both. And that's, that's a whole crazy journey that we're all still on. <laughs> how did, what did that look like for you? Like, how did you? What did you do to try to like live up to that, I guess? Well, at that point I was, I will, I have to be a famous filmmaker. (laughs) So as a child, I didn't mention this, but I have to be a famous actor was what was happening as a child. Um, Yeah, like fame. Fame was the solution to whatever ailed me. I had to be a famous actor. And then when that kind of didn't go anywhere, I went to film school, I I have to be a famous filmmaker. I have to be brilliant. I have to be a genius. I have to be a genius. I have to be a famous genius. That's all. (laughs) I have to be a gorgeous, famous genius. (laughs) Yes, I have to be a gorgeous, famous genius who also like fits into the counterculture of the queer community that I'm just starting to connect with. Um, But I did, you know, I maintained friendship it's interesting. My one gay friend, he was actually the last person I came out to for some reason. <laughs> there's just, there's some logic to that. I don't quite know what it was. I totally, I hear you on that. I don't, I'm similar, but yeah, I, I don't understand that, but I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it feels right. Like I get it. Yeah. I couldn't really trick, articulate why it had to be like, I didn't want to come out to him right away. I had to do it all on my own. We need, I want to like, we need to have a talk about this. I, like at some point, I, I find that so fascinating that it's almost too close to home or something like it's yeah it's well it's also like his identity and for me i'm like am i stealing his identity or (laughs) i don't know also he he always held me up as the the archetype of straightness he was just like aj is such a straight guy he was always saying that (laughs) so part of me was like "Mm." like a little there was a little bit of resentment there around that but, but he was a very helpful part once I did tell him, like he took me to a gay bar with some of his friends and literally they were like, who do you think is cute? And I was like, uh, that guy. And they just went over and grabbed that guy and brought him to me and we're like, he thinks you're cute. Do you want to dance with him? And I was like, okay. So I like danced with this guy, we kissed. And that was the moment that was like, oh, wow. That was the kiss? That was the kiss. Yeah. Like, okay. This guy brought over to me on a platter and we danced and kissed. And um, <laughs> all of my friends know this. It's sort of a silly thing to say, but I had this blog at the time and on the blog, they all knew that I was like exploring homosexuality. And um, I, the blog, I remember I had an article where I was like, I kissed the, my first guy and I had an erection for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> <gasps> oh my gosh wait is this blog is this this can one just not exist anymore can no. you link me oh no, it, it is gone it is gone um it was ridiculous but that, that was, that's sort of the the like it was like a really big moment yeah it's huge and i i'm i am so impressed too that you were like um you're like sharing that at the, at the same time like that yeah I mean, I have, I like wrote in my journal around the time I came out. So I have some really interesting, literally, actually, I have journal entries 
of the night the morning after i hooked up with a guy for the first time and i like talk kind of similarly but it was just like obviously for my journal um i would love i online. mean there's a there's an episode right there if you if i know you're looking for content i'd love to hear it your audience would love I, to hear it maybe i have some good i have like some really good shit in there and i like i and i maybe at some point but um it's really i'm happy i randomly decided to get into journaling right before i came out like that summer yeah uh because i have some really interesting posts that i'm just like holy shit i'm really happy that to have this documented yeah i guess blogging was sort of my journaling and and this urge in me to talk about uncomfortable topics and be really transparent i guess has always kind of been there yeah (laughs) perhaps because of all that i was hiding or something and this just desire to be like i don't want to be hiding this stuff anymore it is kind of interesting too that you you know your goal as a kid um, or growing up um, was to be famous because for people who for people who are like hiding their self for so long and trying to fit in, it's almost, it, I, and I did the same thing. It's like, I don't know if it's like a hiding in plain sight kind of thing, but my, I think I, I, it manifested in me and being overly active and stuff and being involved mm-hmm. in a bunch of things and groups and all this stuff in my fraternity and in high school, like, like you said, I don't know what it is about gay people being student council president, but I think there's something there. Cause I, <laughs> yeah. I've heard a lot of people that did it and I was as well. So you and I definitely have that. There's a lot of approval. You get literally get voted in. Like how nice is that? But it's like, it's so funny for people who literally spend their entire life trying to hide and blend in. It's funny that I find it funny that we go and try to do these things that are so public and like you wanting to be famous. I couldn't imagine trying like hiding a big secret while being like really famous like that. Like (laughs) totally. But I think it's so it's so there's this this like i think the psycho but it does go both ways there's no question that reacting to shame you can go into like these big attention getting somewhat narcissistic uh approval strategies but there's also a huge push in shame to go into withdrawal which includes suicide which we know is like much more prevalent amongst queer youth so it's like for every gay kid who wants to be famous there's a gay kid who wants to not exist so it's like goes both ways. And somehow that axis is always, uh, I think we we fall on that axis in the way that felt safest. So in a big family, I was like, I need to get attention to have my needs met. So that just sort of became like an analogy towards fame, essentially. I need to be the loudest kid in the house. I need to be the most attention getting kid at school. I need to be famous. It all It all adds up. That was my safety strategy. How did the transition into like, like dating and stuff. How, how did you find, find that, especially after, you know, having like a hetero dating life? I really wanted to be the straightest gay guy that there ever was. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, hear you. I was very much in the headspace of like be gay, but don't act gay. Um, so I was, and very judgmental about grinder or casual sex or being quote unquote slutty I did not want to be a slutty gay. I did not want to be an effeminate gay. I I literally was like, I'm a straight guy who happens to be gay. That was my mindset. And all of my friends are straight, mostly, except for that one friend. And I didn't make any effort to integrate into the community or make more gay friends. I wanted to stay as straight as possible, which looking back now was a real missed opportunity. Because now, like literally in my 40s, I am making up for that and realizing how important it is that I have the empathy and being seenness that comes from real queer community, which is also something I want to contribute to. So um, that wasn't a great strategy, but that's where I was at. And so I did like a very sort of serial monogamy. I I, uh, had a boyfriend and then that was fortunately a really great place to explore. Like he had more experience than me, but not a ton more, but he was able to kind of show me the ropes. Mm-hmm. And that was really, I've had a like series of partners who've been able to show me the ropes in a certain way. And that has been so helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, like one, one of the partners, like my first partner really like, um, made an effort and tried to like, you know, he was on the pride committee. So like he tried to get me to come into the community and 
taught me about sex and sexual safety and all this stuff. And I am so appreciative of that. So to some extent, my heteronormativity and sex negativity was lucky in that I wasn't learning about sex through like hookups and random strangers and things like that. I had like one dedicated person and one safe space in which to just figure all that stuff out. And um, that's a just a great place to learn. Yeah, it is. It, it is helpful to have people, you know, I always felt like I having somebody more experienced, like show me the ropes. Like I, I found people to help me do that. I didn't have, a, it wasn't through like a boyfriend. Um, I, did, I ended up just having fortunate meeting nice people that, understood my situation and mm -hmm. you know knew that I was going kind of going through things for the first time and so I lucked out for sure in that sense but it, it like to be coming out and having somebody like show you the ropes is whether it's a boyfriend or somebody else is like very helpful and powerful I thought yeah and I think there's a lot of people out there who would love to show someone the ropes and I think there's people out there who wouldn't want to and it yeah. doesn't necessarily have to take place in a relationship as you pointed out but it's like finding the person who has the patience and like would just love to be that for someone uh, like that's which just that's such a great find. Yeah. And then, it, yeah, like, you know, the dating, everything after that seems sort of like not worth mentioning until I go to therapy realize I still have crushing shame and um, have a whole breakthrough process around that, that is so much bigger than just my sexual orientation. It's just like my whole identity, my pursuit of fame, my sex negativity, uh, everything that I think is like good and true about life just shatter because it's all held together by this shame, this desperation to fit in. And I've been sort of just spent the last seven years, like piecing things together more authentically since that moment, which came through therapy. So that's, that's a sort of <laughs> another thing I, I love to promote. And not everyone likes therapy, but for me, it was a game changer. Well, AJ, thank you so much for sharing your coming out story with us. Um, I am definitely going to to link uh, link to Discomfortable in the show notes because I think that the audience there'll be people that will really resonate with with the podcast, um, especially the ones that that I mean, I'm going to link the ones that I've already talked about for sure um, because they were so helpful for me and I I think they'll be helpful for for our audience too. Um, if your story or your podcasts um, after the audience is taking a look at them, uh, wanted to reach out, what's the best way for them to to get in touch? Yeah, you um, you can reach out to me off of my website, discomfortable.net or aj at discomfortable.net. I'm also on Twitter. I'm quite active there. Um, oh, I need to follow you. Yeah, follow me on Twitter. I don't, I don't think I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly posting about shame. So well, that's a warning. <laughs> but yeah, I also do coaching. Like if people want to do a full like session and go back into their shame, that's like a service that I offer. And it's... Oh, cool. Um it's not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> and I have a Love book and I wrote a book. Wait, yeah, you I, do. I, I, I wrote a book. About that. Yeah, I wrote a book called Discomfortable, which came out in September from North Atlantic Books. And you can get it at any local bookseller. They might have to order it. It's kind of niche. But um, if you really want to kind of like dive into it's it's kind of a dual narrative, like my story with shame and shame in general. So there's some some similar like my my coming out story is covered a little bit in there so oh, yeah so if people enjoyed that story and they want to read about shame that's another avenue they can check out yeah i would recommend for my if i'm giving you the discomfortable like spark notes version i would say if you want to learn more about aj's story i definitely recommend starting with his getting discomfortable with being gay episode um and then maybe going into the other ones after that that's like a really good primer <laughs> for it and it sounds like it you probably touched it you touch on it in the book too at least that's what i did yeah <laughs> it worked for me yeah um well that's awesome i meant to ask you about the book too i knew i saw that and um, i meant to ask you about that before so i'm glad you brought it up congratulations yeah that's i almost cool. forgot right yeah yeah i have a book that's so cool <laughs> my publisher would appreciate it if i promoted it periodically yeah to have a book that you wrote 
That's crazy. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's both amazing and it plays into what we've been talking about. Me needing to do big, impressive, fame-getting things. But to be honest, I that's not going away. It's it's not uh, like it's not like a it's so deeply ingrained in me. It feels so safe to go and get attention and do big things that I've kind of just accepted it. And I'm like, okay, AJ, you can get attention. Totally. It's fine. But if you mention shame while you're getting that attention, then it, it's meaningful as well, like on a deeper level. So that's sort of the, um, the truce I've made with my narcissism. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you are well on your way to becoming the gorgeous genius that you hope to be, AJ. <laughs> Thank you. But even if I don't <laughs> succeed at that, I'm going to love myself anyway, because yes. that's fine. Yes, it is. Uh, well, thank you so much, AJ. Uh, I'm really excited to, for the audience to hear your story and check out Discomfortable. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If this week's episode resonated with you, please take a second to subscribe and leave a review. You can find Reaching Out with Michael Constable on Instagram and Twitter at Reaching Out Pod, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Wings It. Bye-bye, see you.